The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of Crown Point Baptist Church and Pastor Mark Ermler. The book of Ephesians, chapter number four. Concerning the potluck tonight, make sure that you bring your own serving utensils, all right? We really don't have a, a way to wash anything or provide something for you. So bring your own and then uh, just take it with you. Uh, whatever you want to provide for that 5 o'clock meal, it's always good. And uh, I tell you, I, I should have added something like a ugly sweater contest or you know something here to make uh, tonight even more fun. But you don't want to miss it. Uh, the gift exchange, the meal. Uh, Luke is going to be presenting our Bible challenge here tonight. It'll just be a fun time. And uh, if maybe you've never come uh, to, you know, something beyond 11 o'clock, come. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, we'll be in the multi-purpose room, which we are working on little by little, but uh, so thankful for all that God's done and all He's provided for us. Now, before we get into the actual message here this morning, uh, once in a while, something takes place on the national stage that I just want us to be very much aware of, especially when it has to do with the Scripture, the Word of God. Um, I want to, first of all, uh, commend our president here this week. And I know there's a whole lot of things that we can maybe say that we're not always excited about. Uh, but uh, can I tell you, in relationship to what was announced this past week concerning the simple reality of moving our embassy is, I believe, a part of biblically what must take place. And, uh, you know, Israel, specifically the city of Jerusalem, when, when we talk about prophecy and we talk about the last days, you want to keep your eye on what's going on in Jerusalem. You want to keep your eye on what's going on there uh, in the Middle East. And um, about a year ago, just after President Trump was elect elected, I took a whole Sunday to just kind of go through the, the possibilities of what's being um, accomplished and what God may be doing uh, in our world. Well, this week, uh, I have a slide. President Trump announced this week that the USA was moving their, our embassy to the city of Jerusalem. Now, before you uh, listen too much to the news, uh, whatever news source you have, I want you to be aware that for 22 years, this has been the law uh, of the land. Matter of fact, you have to go back to uh, President Clinton 22 years ago. And there was a law that was passed by the House, by the Senate, and it was an opportunity here to move our embassy back to Jerusalem to declare Jerusalem as the capital. Well, that happened 22 years ago, but there was a, a little waiver that every six months the president could sign this waiver saying, we're just not ready to do it quite yet. All right, well... That was in the second year of President Clinton's presidency. So for six years or 12 times across his desk came an opportunity. Do I sign this or not sign this? Do we go ahead and finally move the embassy or not move the embassy? So that was 12 different times. Well, then we had a new president for eight years. And for the next, let's say, 16 opportunities, President Bush had an opportunity to either sign it or not sign it. It's already law. It's passed. He just has to sign it unless he wavers to uh, push it down the road a little bit. And for eight years, President Bush did that. 
Well, then we came to eight years with Barack Obama, President Obama. And for eight years, or another 16 times, this document, every June, every December, crosses the desk. And every single time, by the way, if you counted those up, those are 44 different times that it was passed, or passed over, I should say. And then this week, it was signed. And you say, well, what in the world is the significance where so much has to take place in the city of Jerusalem? And we are looking to that city. We're looking to what God is going to do ultimately. Uh, it is the city of God. And I don't want to get into all the, the, the politics of it, but can I tell you, the United Nations continues to be anti-Israel in every single regard. This is the last day of November, and I, I'm going to read this to you. Uh, 151 UN states vote to disavow Israeli ties to Jerusalem. This is the Jerusalem Post. Now, what's so significant? Uh, 151 times there were six anti-Israeli amendments that were brought to the UN. They want to pass another 10 anti-Israeli amendments before the end of the year. But they got wind that our president may actually sign this thing this time around in December. And so they wanted to publicly take a stand that they did not believe that Jerusalem uh, is the capital of Israel, and they didn't want to give any authority whatsoever here to the Israelis. So I just, that second paragraph, in New York, only six countries out of 193 UN member states fully supported is Israel's ties to Jerusalem. And I'm so glad that we're one of the six. Isn't that wonderful? You say, why is that so important? Because God says, I'll bless those that bless my people. And he says, I'll curse those that curse my people. Uh, for no other reason but a selfish one. I love my country. I, I want to be on the right side uh, when it comes to what God has for the nation of Israel and all that will have to transpire as uh, we get closer and closer to the Lord Jesus Christ coming again. So he went beyond what they were fearful of. Not only did he declare that we're moving the embassy, but he also declared that uh, they were, uh, well, he, he said it several times, didn't he? That this is the eternal capital, Jerusalem is the eternal capital of the Israeli people. All right, and so here's some uh, words. He acknowledged that Jerusalem has been the eternal capital of the Jewish people for over 3,000 years. He made the campaign promise. He kept the promise. Let's give him due for that which uh, we can commend. So I want to commend our president publicly here uh, for taking that stand. By the way, in the new year, we will be looking at some of prophetically what's taking place in the in the Mideast, uh, you know, as I, I read through again this week, uh, Zechariah, uh, Zephaniah and Zechariah and some of the minor prophets, they're just filled with wonderful passages that deal with God's promise to not just the Israeli people, but the city of Jerusalem in particular. Uh, I want you to understand that once Jesus returns, there is going to be seven years uh, of terrible tribulation in this world. 
And there will be an Antichrist, a world ruler that will rise up, and he will desecrate in the middle of that seven-year tribulation the temple, the holy temple in Jerusalem. That has to be built. In order for that to be built, it needs to be recognized as the capital of Israel. Uh, that Israel has dominion here over their own city. By the way, there's no city like this in the world that the UN has determined as a city that doesn't belong to any nation. 1950, the UN did that. And they have declared Jerusalem to be a city that has no country. Well, our president didn't really care too much about what the UN had to say and uh, went ahead and finally passed into law uh, what for 22 years people have waited for. And so uh, I just want us to continue to keep our eyes up, all right? Uh, there are things that are happening uh, that uh, we need to be aware of as God's people and ready as uh, we live during these last days, all right? Ephesians chapter number 4, you have an insert that may help you here this morning as we just review what the Word of God here has to say and uh, how God is uh, able to help us as a church to grow. So the theme has been, over the last few weeks, growing in our maturity. Uh, we've been looking specifically at this thought of the pathway to spiritual maturity. God's plan is for every Christian to grow up, to be fully mature. Not just to be on milk, but to graduate to meat. God's desiring that His people here would be strong in the Lord. He's desiring for them to be impactful in the world today. He's desiring, as we work through the book of Ephesians, not only to see us grow to maturity, but grow to the place that we'll be good soldiers of the cross. Before you get to Ephesians 6, put on the whole arm of God, Ephesians 4 deals with, how do I know I'm growing? How do I know spiritually if I am maturing? And so there are four key words, and we've looked at three of the, the words. We're going to look at the fourth one here today. But first of all, as we went through this passage, we learned that maturity for the believer can be seen, first of all, in the arena of our words. I'm going to read here verse number 22 of Ephesians chapter number 4. The scripture says that ye put off concerning the, uh, the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Therefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor." So we're to put off a few things. The Bible says we're to put on a few things. Well, what am I to put off? Uh, well, that evil speaking. Uh, the Word of God tells us here that there is a new language that ought to take hold in our life when we become a child of God. And God's desiring here for every child of God to have a testimony in the world whereby they can see we're different. And part of that comes through the words that we are speaking. Uh, put off. Put off the wrong kinds of words. Put off lies. What do we put on? Truth. 
Put off here that which is of the old man. Put on a vocabulary that reflects our new relationship with God. And by the way, you cannot do this in your own flesh. You need the Spirit of God that has now taken up residence in your heart to help you. Uh, be uh, what God intends for you to be, fully mature. You know, when a, when a child is just a baby, they, their vocabulary isn't developed. But as they mature, all of a sudden they're using not just one syllable, two syllable words, but it's astounding here on how the language changes, the vocabulary changes. For a child of God, it ought to be no different. Our language, our speech ought to give us away. Listen, let no corrupt communication, verse 29, look at that. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. That's a rotten, uh, filthy talk, a language that's unbecoming to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and the, and the Christian. And God says, put it off. But in verse 29, he also says, put on that which is good to the use of edifying or building up, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. What do I put on? I put on the kind of words, first of all, uh, that are going to build others up, not tear others down. That's what that word means, edify, to build up. But also, I minister grace with my words. Listen, uh, the tongue's a powerful thing. Read James chapter number 2. And there's, uh, uh, there's illustrations that James uses concerning the power of the tongue. And he'll, he'll talk about poison and fire and a rudderless ship. Uh, all illustrations dealing with what happens when we are not controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. And our, our tongue uh, just is unrestrained. And it just drives where it wants to drive. So we looked at words, number one. Number two, we looked at this element of wrath or anger. All right, let's follow along here as uh, we continue going through the text. Verse 26, be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Uh, we saw that this is a clear command of God. That anger does not reflect our relationship with Jesus. It rather reflects our relationship with the old man and the old life and actually with Satan himself because he's the one that the Bible says is filled with wrath. He's going to come down with great wrath, Revelation 12. So I don't want to be in the same category here as Satan uh, filled with wrath, filled with anger, there's a command, there's a caution. Uh, we see there's a condition, let not the sun go down on your wrath. Every couple here ought to make sure that you've patched things up before you go to bed. Every husband and wife here, you've had a spat, you've had an argument. Can I tell you something? God's plan for your life is not to go to bed angry one with another. Uh, God wants you to settle it. Maybe you've been like me. Sometimes it's one or two in the morning before you're getting it settled. <laughs> I'm just being honest. You know, sometimes it's like, well, the sun's gone down, but we still haven't got this settled. And you get it settled. Why? Because you don't want to spoil the next day. You want all to be right. And so this area of wrath or anger is one that shows that we are growing up spiritually. We're mature. So you say, Pastor, how do I know if I'm still a spiritual babe? Well, look at your words. Look at just 
anger in your life and, and what causes here that anger in your life. And then last Sunday, we saw this little word, work. And, and that's found here in verse 28. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him work. Uh, uh, working with his hands the things which is good that he may have to give to them that needeth. We saw three things. Number one, stop stealing. And we went into a big list of all the different ways that we can take things that don't belong to us. Not only are we to stop stealing, but we're to start working. That's God's plan. Listen, uh, Adam in the garden was given a job to do. That's God's eternal plan. You're not going to find satisfaction here outside of the realm of just good old-fashioned work. It's how he wired us. And if you want real fulfillment, you're going to find here that uh, uh, God's plan is the best plan. Stop stealing. Start working. And then the end of the verse tells us, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Last thing we saw last week was save so that you can share. All right? Stop stealing, start working, and then save so that you can be a blessing, so that you can give to others that genuinely have needs. All right, here's our next word. Are you ready for it? Uh, I, I had a word I was going to use, and I'm going to steer away from that one. And, and God just really put on my heart this word of wounds. Maturity in the area of our wounds. Now, I believe every single one of us at some point in our Christian walk are going to be severely hurt by someone else. Many of us carry scars, been wounded deeply. And you know, God has a plan for us so that we can come out on the other side of that wound better, not bitter. Here in these last couple verses of this chapter, and we're finishing it today, but follow along. It's all going to hinge to verse number 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Now, folks, everything that we've seen before this, we're going to have to understand that we need the Spirit of God and that when our words are not right and uh, when our wrath is not right and when our work is right, not, uh, not right, the Holy Spirit is grieved. That's why this is important. God wants us to grow up. The Holy Spirit is grieved when we're still in those elementary stages in our Christian walk. That's why you need to be a part of a church that's a Bible-preaching church. Folks, you're not going to get this from psychology books. You're going to get it from the Word of God. And God's Word is so practical. It's so helpful if we'll just allow God's Word into our lives. So, as we see here, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God... Verse 31, just going to look at these two verses today. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another. Notice the relational. 
There is a, a relationship that I have with others that you have with others. And sometimes in our relationships, things don't go real smooth. Sometimes in our relationships, things pop up. Bitterness. Wrath. And by the way, this is a different Greek word, wrath, than the wrath we saw uh, just two weeks ago. Anger. Clamor. Evil speaking. Folks, all of these are highlighted here in this verse because this is what we do one to another too often. And can I tell you, the Holy Spirit is grieved. This is written to Christians. This is written to the church. This is God's plan for all of us and God's desiring that our attitude one toward, the, toward each other or our relationships and our families, our relatives, our co-workers, that God's desiring for that maturity to come to the surface in every sphere of relationship. And that maturity is evidenced uh, by abstaining from certain things and, and uh, uh, embracing other things. So I'd like to talk about wounds. I'd like to talk about being hurt uh, in our lives. And letter A, if you're writing down notes, I put most of them in, in the uh, flyer for you. But let me give you a letter A, some things that must be eliminated. There are some things, if I am to demonstrate maturity... There are some things in my life that have to be eliminated. These things all, according to the previous verse, grieve who? Help me. Who do we grieve? The Holy Spirit of God. These are not optional for the Christian. It's not like, well, pastor, I got this anger problem, or, or pastor, you know, this uh, one that you're talking about here, this malice uh, this uh, uh, bitterness. I've had this bitterness in my heart for decades. I don't know what to do about it. Can I tell you, God can give you a victory over it. And God is desiring to reconcile relationships. By the way, didn't God have a plan to reconcile lost humanity with himself through his son, Jesus Christ? That's what this season's all about. God sent his son, Emmanuel, God with us, into this world so that through his sacrifice. We could be reconciled to a holy God because we trusted in Jesus Christ as our Savior. God's desiring that reconciliation. He's wanting it in our marriages. He's wanting it in our homes. He's wanting it here uh, with our relations. And so we as children of God have to come to the place where we're saying, oh, I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit anymore. I don't want to live my life grieving the Holy Spirit of God. I, I just want to be honest with God. I want to take care of what needs to be taken care of. And so the first of these that's listed, and I, I believe it's not by accident because the Holy Spirit wrote it. What is it? Let all what? Bitterness. Let all bitterness. Folks, the Bible in Hebrews tells us that it's the root of bitterness that's going to poison every other aspect of our life. And as I hang on to this root of bitterness and allow it to fester in my heart, it's going to bring forth all kinds of consequences. Unimaginable consequences, things I haven't even thought about. But as I allow that root to 
grow and nurture and, and uh, I feed it. And I allow bitterness here to just take a real root hold in my life. And that starts to spring forth and it reveals itself in all kinds of other uh, sins that grieve the Holy Spirit of God. If I am not willing to deal with this area of bitterness, it will destroy. I want us to focus. It's a message that... uh, Actually, four years ago, I preached in the hotel. And I'm going to use it as an illustration, not an entire message, because there's a lot of other points here. How many remember the life of Ahithophel? I want to just see a couple hands. All right. All right. So there's about a half dozen of you that remember that. So I'm going to use it here this morning. Ahithophel is a character. I'd like you to go here. I'm just going to read the verses just for the sake of time. But... The Bible tells us in the story of David as he is being pursued by his rebel son Absalom. Remember Absalom the hippie? Uh, I say that because he had this wonderfully long hair that ultimately got him in a mess of trouble because he got hung in a tree by his hair and he was slaughtered. But he rose up in rebellion against King David. Matter of fact... Uh, The city of David, Jerusalem, David had to leave the city because Absalom had gathered all of, uh, let's say, the the, the, uh, royalty in the city to come and follow him. And one of the prominent characters that followed uh, um, Absalom is this fellow called Ahithophel, and he is known as David's trusted counselor. So 2 Samuel 16, 23 says, And the counsel of Ahithophel, which he counseled in those days, was if a man had inquired at the oracle of God, so was all the counsel of Ahithophel, both with David and with Absalom. So what I learn about Ahithophel's life is that he's a a great counselor, a great helper to King David. And as the king was established on the throne in Jerusalem, Uh, Here, Ahithophel gave this wise counsel as if God was saying it himself. What a man. What a counselor. Psalm 55, I believe, is a description of David talking about this relationship that he had with Ahithophel. Verse number 12, it's interesting, it says this, For it was not an enemy that reproached me, then I could have borne it, neither was it he that hated me, that did magnify himself against me, then I would have hid myself from him. But he says, it was my counselor. It was my counselor. Something happened in a relationship between Ahithophel and David. And all of a sudden, uh, there's a change of allegiance. Ahithophel is no longer following King David. Ahithophel now is following Absalom. And he is counseling Absalom on how to overthrow his dad. And so you can see the, the, the march out of the city of Jerusalem as David and those that are loyal to David leave the city and Absalom takes rule. Now, uh, Ahithophel wasn't just done here with just seeing David cast out. He said, we've got him. We've got him right where we want him. Would you give me, I think the number is 12,000. Ha- maybe it's in the text here as I go on. But he says, give me some soldiers. I'll chase after them. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to kill him. I'll kill him. 
and your whole kingdom will be united around you. Now, now think about how bitter you got to be at somebody who at one time was your dear, close friend and confidant, and now all of a sudden he's your arch enemy. And he wants to destroy you. Matter of fact, he wants to personally, and he said it, I want to personally kill David. What would, what would create that in a man's heart so that he would desire here to, to flip? It seems like, the, and, and, and the Bible gives us the answer. You just got to dig for it a little bit. But the, the scripture goes on in Psalm 55 and says, We took sweet counsel together and walked onto the house of God in company. Wow, what a relationship they had. Verse 16 of Psalm 55, As for me, I will call unto God, and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning and noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. All right, so this is Ahithophel. He became uh, one that was a counselor, but now he's a conspirator. Going to 2 Samuel chapter number 15, Absalom, the Bible says, sent for Ahithophel. David's counselor from a city, even from Gillo, which he offered sacrifice, and the conspiracy was strong. For the people increased continually with Absalom. And it didn't help when the great counselor of Israel joins Absalom. The scripture goes on and uh, tells us here that not only did Absalom uh, look to Ahithophel for wise counsel, but Ahithophel also, because of this bitterness, the, the man that used to speak as if God spoke has such a hatred that he's now going to advise Absalom to do a most despicable thing. I'm taking you to the next chapter, 2 Samuel 16. Then said Absalom to Ahithophel, Give counsel among you what we shall do. And Ahithophel said unto Absalom, Go in unto thy father's concubines, which he hath left to keep the house. And all Israel shall hear that thou art abhorred of thy father. Then shall the hands of all that are with thee be strong. He said, I want you to go up on the rooftop. I want you to take his concubines. And I want you to defile them before all Israel. Advising Absalom to rape these women that were concubines of David on a rooftop so that all Israel could see it. What? 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 How does that happen in a person's life who walked with God, who spoke as the oracles of God, who had such a tenderness? to be such a close companion to David, a man after God's own heart. What in the world happened? I'm going to tell you what happened. Bitterness happened. And bitterness took Ahithophel down a road he never thought he'd go to where he's desiring not only to humiliate David by having his concubines all raped, but he's also desiring now with his own hands to murder him. Bitterness taking hold in a heart. Well, the scripture goes on in verse 22 and says, So they spread Absalom a tent upon the top of the house, and Absalom went in onto his father's concubines in the sight of all of Israel. The next verse says, And the counsel of Ahithophel, which he counseled in those days, was as if a man had inquired at the oracle of God, so was all the counsel of Ahithophel, both to David and to Absalom. Absalom. 
I mentioned now that he's desiring to become the chastiser. He's the one that wants to go out after uh, David and uh, have David slain. His counsel in chapter 17 of 2 Samuel verse 2 is simply this. In verse 1 he says, uh, there it is, Let me now choose out 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue after David this night. And I will come unto him while he is weary and weak-handed, and will make him afraid. He wants to terrify him. He's not content that he's humiliated him, that he's driven him out of the city. But the scripture also now tells us here, when he's at his weakest, I want to make him afraid. I want to terrorize him. And the scripture goes on and says this in verse 2, what an indictment. And all the people that are with him shall flee, and I will smite the king only. I want the job. I want to be your executioner. I want to take that sword and I want to drive it deep into that king. Again, I've got to say, where does that spring from? What root took hold in, in Ahithophel's life that would cause that kind of a hatred against King, Number David, uh, king David? Well, we're going to see the root of it, and you're going to have to go with me in the Scripture if you want to uh, see this together. And I'd, li I'd like you to page there for some of you. 2 Samuel 23. Here's why. You say, Pastor, how did this bitterness take place? 2 Samuel chapter 23. I love the Old Testament passages. I love the stories that are in this marvelous, marvelous Word of God that give us such rich instruction. 2 Samuel chapter number 23, notice verse number 8. These be the names of the mighty men whom David had. And one of the names here that I want to highlight here, there's 37 in all. They go from verse 8 through verse number 39. And uh, uh, what uh, uh, I want to do is go to the very end to... Uh, um, verse number 39, where it says, One of these mighty men is Uriah the Hittite, 30 and 7 in all. All right? How many know Uriah the Hittite? All right? What was, who was Uriah? Uriah was married to uh, uh, Bathsheba. And Uriah the Hittite was the man that. Uh, David uh, sent back into the battle after he had his way with that man's wife. He called him back from the battlefield and said, hey, why don't you go spend some time with your wife? He refused. He said, my men are on the battlefield. I can't do that. I think that's 2 Samuel chapter number 11. And so what David does is David gets him drunk. And David says, now go home to your wife. He refuses to go home. And so David writes that famous letter to tell the captain that when you get in the battle, make sure Uriah is at the front of the battle, and then at the heat of the battle, you start drawing back. It was a suicide mission, and Uriah was killed, and the secret was kept. You say, what secret? Bathsheba was carrying David's child. You say, well, what does that have to do here with what's going on? Well, let's go to 2 Samuel uh, chapter 23, verse number, do I have this right? Verse number 34. 
Ella, I can't even pronounce all these words, all right? Uh, let's look at the son of Mechathite, Iliam, the son of, what's the next word? Somebody help me. Ahithophel. Iliam is also one of these mighty men of valor. Iliam, the son of Ahithophel, all right? Now, that's very important because the proud father of one of King David's mighty men of valor, that's who he is. He's a a fighter for David. He's in David's army, and he's proud of his his son. Well, now we go on, and uh, we go to this uh, uh, famous passage here in 2 Samuel chapter number 11. Go back here a few chapters. Just stay with me. We're almost there. Second Samuel 11, verse number 3. Now, this is all about David, and of course, it's the time the kings go to war. Uh, David stays behind in the city of Jerusalem. Verse 2, and it came to pass in an even tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Who's Iliam? Ahithophel's son. Who does that make Bathsheba? Ahithophel's granddaughter. His granddaughter. Can you imagine as a grandfather all the joy you have with a little grandchild on your lap and they grow up and you're so proud of them and then uh, they find uh, that uh, man in their life and a noble man, he was one of the mighty men of valor. Uriah is in that list. Willing to fight side by side with David. The special forces. I mean, just the cream of the crop. And he has a wife. And the wife is Bathsheba. And David, instead of going out to war, he stays home. And there, as he's looking around, he sees Bathsheba one night on the rooftop. And he says, I want her. And he takes her for himself and then tries to cover up the crime with the murder of Uriah, which would have been uh, Iliam's son-in-law, great son-in-law here to Ahithophel. What a tragedy. Was the sin of David right or wrong? Absolutely wrong. Uh, He was chastised and severely punished for it. A fourfold punishment in his own family. Don't have time to preach that this morning. But he was punished by God. But guess who else wanted to punish him? You got it, Ahithophel. Ahithophel became God in David's life. And Ahithophel determined that I am going to humiliate him, terrorize him, and ultimately kill him. That's my plan. And that bitterness that took root in Ahithophel's heart led him to ultimately die when his counsel wasn't received by Absalom. He went home and hung himself. What a sad end to such a noble, noble character. 
And this morning, we just got to say, what started him down that road? Bitterness. Bitterness. Folks, I want you to know this morning that this root of bitterness is going to spring all the rest of these sins. Everything else that we're going to look at, we can't do it today, we'll have to save it for next Sunday, but all these other sins are a direct root uh, from bitterness. Bitterness is the root and they all spring forward. All the sins that we're going to look at there in Ephesians chapter number 4 where the scripture says, wrath, can you see that in Ahithophel? Do you see anger? Do you see clamor? That desire here to not just punish people but hurt people. Uh, evil speaking was Ahithophel a part of the uprising, the conspiracy, the evil talk. He sure was. Evil speaking, uh, uh, and the Bible says, be put away from you with all malice. Was there malice in Ahithophel's heart? Absolutely. Why? Because of bitterness. If you are this morning seated in this auditorium, and you feel like somehow, I can handle this bitterness. And you can go ahead and nurse it and allow it to grow and thrive in your life toward any human being. Can I tell you, Ephesians 4.30 says that you are grieving the Holy Spirit of God. You're grieving the Holy Spirit of God. You say, Pastor, you don't know how bad they hurt me. Folks, the damage you're doing is to yourself, not that person. You know, God was already set to take care of that person. David was severely punished. Oh, read the story of Tamar. Amnon, his son, assassinated by Absalom, the baby that's lost. Folks, David paid. God here took care of. Let God be judge, not you. Because the only one that you're hurting is yourself. Your bitterness is not going to hurt that individual. God saw over that whole situation and God punished David. But it's Ohithophel that paid the supreme sacrifice and ultimately because of just this bitterness, bitterness raging, uh, committing suicide. Folks, bitterness is where it starts. Bitterness is the root. Bitterness has to be yielded to God and say, God, I don't know how, outside of your Holy Spirit giving me grace, whereby I might be able to be delivered from the bitterness that's in my heart. But when you do, you're going to see the smile of God once again in your life. You will cease grieving the Holy Spirit of God. And God will be able to give you victory over all of these others. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of Crown Point Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.